Well, good morning, everybody. Welcome to Twin Cities Church. If you're uh, joining us for the first time this morning, welcome. If you have been with us before, welcome. Uh, we're here in the midst of our series on Jesus, on who he is and what it means to live in his kingdom, going through the life of Christ as well as the teachings of Christ. Join me here in a word of prayer as, as we get started. Heavenly Father, Lord, we, we love you. We thank you for your great love and mercy. We, Lord, we thank you for the things that you have done. We thank you for the hope that we have in you. The fact that, that you have not left us on our own, Lord, but that you came into this world and you died and reconciled all things to yourself. Lord, we are thankful that you are the Lord of all things, that you are over all things, that you hold all things together. Lord, we're thankful that we belong to you. Lord, we ask that you continue to reveal yourself to us. Lord, strengthen us to uh, grasp and understand your great love and mercy for us. Lord, help us to let that love settle deep into our hearts. Lord, help us to see you for who you are and to experience the joy and the peace and the rest that you offer. Lord, just be with us this morning. In your name we pray. Amen. So as we've been going through uh, the Sermon on the Mount, right, the Gospels present to us this great news that the King has come, his kingdom is at hand, and all have been invited to the feast. All have been invited into the kingdom, that hope and rest are real things, that there is a, a lightness, that an easiness to this life that we can all have in Christ. There will be pain and there will be suffering, but there will be joy and there will be peace. And, and in fact, that we can live in this alternative community that experiences this joy and this peace, that Christ invites us to work with him, undermining the structures of evil in this world, and to experience that hope here and now, not just in the future, but a present reality right now. And so Christ offers us this new community, this new family, the, the New Testament and the whole Bible really kept pointing to this hope that one day we will experience a new family, a new community, a community that is characterized by love, that's characterized by peace, that's characterized by hope. But then our experiences are often very different. We don't experience that kingdom very often, and nor do we experience that community very often. For most of us, the communities that we do experience and we do encounter are very little different than the communities that we came out of. And that for most of us within the church even too and within religion, right, we may in fact come into a Christian community and outwardly it looks friendly and nice and kind and loving and caring, but then as you live in community for a while, you say, well, this isn't any different than what I was experiencing. Outwardly kind, inwardly cold and indifferent, spirits of judgment and pain and fear and so we have this competition for us of our heart and our soul and, and what we really believe because we know what Christ offers, but then do we experience that? And if I don't experience what Christ offers, do I really believe that this possibility of a community that's characterized by love and peace, does it actually exist? 
What is it that Christ has called us to? And today, Christ is really showing us, and all the way through these passages so far, this section of the Sermon on the Mount, he's just walking through these areas that are going to hinder us from experiencing what he's called us to experience. This, he's, he's made the path known to us. He's done all the work for us to experience hope and peace. And in community, we can experience these things. But there's hindrances to it. There's roadblocks. There's pitfalls and traps. And as a community, right, what is stopping us from experiencing the Spirit's work? What stops us in community from experiencing hope and peace? So if you have a Bible with you, open up to Matthew 7. If you don't have a Bible, we'll go through the, the verses on the screen as well. But it's sometimes nice to be able to have it in front of you so you can look over it as we go and all those things. But in Matthew 7, starting in verse 1, Judge not, that you be not judged. For with the judgment you pronounce, you will be judged. And with the measure you use, it will be measured to you. Why do you see the speck that is in your brother's eye, but do not notice the log that is in your own eye? Or how can you say to your brother, let me take the speck out of your eye, when there is the log in your own eye? You hypocrite. First, take the log out of your own eye, and then you will see clearly to take the speck out of your brother's eye. Do not give dogs what is holy, and do not throw your pearls before pigs, lest they trample them underfoot and turn to attack you. Ask, and it will be given to you. Seek, and you will find. Knock, and it will be opened to you. For everyone who asks, receives. And the one who seeks, finds. And to the one who knocks, it will be opened. For which one of you, if his son asks him for bread, will give him a stone? Or if he asks for a fish, will give him a serpent? If you then, who are evil, know how to give good gifts to your children, how much more will your Father who is in heaven give good things to those who ask him? So whatever you wish that others would do to you, do also to them. For this is the law and the prophets. It's really the, the words of Christ are so, are so powerful. And here he's telling us, right, he's giving us this warning. There are two things that will absolutely kill Christian community. Right? There are two things here that will absolutely hinder us from experiencing the hope and joy and peace of the kingdom. That will keep us, that will prohibit us really from experiencing these things. Judgment enforcing goodness on people. And he first talks of judgment, right? This judging, judge not. And we know this is true, right? We read these passages and it's not hard to be convicted because we've experienced the effects of judgment. Jesus' little brother James will give the same warning to the church that a spirit of judgment does not produce good things. Standing in a position of judgment over others. And to judge someone, right, is really to stand in a position of authority over them. And you say, this is wrong. Your life decisions are wrong. You're acting in sin. It's, it's p- acting in a position where you look at their life, you look at the lives of people in front of you and say, this is wrong. I think you're wrong. 
Christ is saying, that's going to kill Christian community. Standing in judgment over one another. Acting as the judge. Looking at people's lives. And we do this, right? We can't help but do this. And it's so prevalent outside of the church and inside the church. As we live lives together, it's so hard. We do this naturally. I look at the lives of the people that are closest to me. I look at my family's lives. I look at my children's lives. And I judge them. I think this is wrong. I think this is right. I think that decision was wrong. I think this decision was right. I think what you're doing is wrong. I think what you're doing is right. We stand and sit in that seat of judgment over other people. Christ is saying, don't. Don't. Because when you judge people, right, and and James, his brother, does a great job of explaining this, it it excludes people. The moment you're sitting in judgment, you're, you're creating exclusions and you're holding people, you're excluding them from the fellowship and they can't participate fully when they know that they are being judged. There's that experience of individuals, right? You've experienced being judged by others. And there's hurt and there's pain. The practicing of judgment, you know, is not good. The fear of being judged is not good. There's the arrogance of judgment, right? For those of us who have felt judged in community, we know how that feels. We know the hurt that that does, that creates. And for those of us who have stood in judgment over others, you know this position as well. And you know how that just festers and breeds arrogance and self-righteousness and pride and the thought of, well, I'm just pointing out what's right. I just, I mean, I'm just speaking the truth. This is just the reality. They are wrong about this. Sitting in that position for too long just breeds this this pride and within a community right where there is a spirit of judgment where there is a spirit of looking at each other's lives with that critical lens all the time feeling under the microscope right and many of you may have been in a community like this may feel like you're part of a community like this now may feel like this is your life where you are constantly being judged where people are constantly looking at you and looking for faults it's stifling. Those communities are stifled, right? Those communities are closed off towards others. It's very difficult to be outward focused. They're very inward focused. They're very outward looking, but for the purpose of comparing, right? But inwardly stifled. And then within those groups, outwardly, they can be very friendly, outwardly get along very well, inwardly a real fear of intimacy a fear of getting known, right? You want to be loved, but you're afraid of being known because the moment I'm known about this, I will be judged, right? And it just inhibits us when there's that spirit of judgment and condemnation and that fear of being known. Can I truly be known in this community? Can I truly tell people what I'm struggling with? Especially if I'm in a position of quote-unquote leadership, can I tell without the feelings of being judged by others? There's just a, a fear, And it stifles us. And then as Christ pointed out, there is this counterattack, right? Don't judge. You will be judged in return. We we know that. That's not hard to to explain. We've all experienced this. Who are you to tell me these things? Well, let me tell you what's wrong with your life. You want to tell me what's wrong with mine? 
I'll tell you what's wrong with yours, right? Every parent has experienced this with their children, right? When you try to point out what they're doing wrong, they come right back at you and tell you what you're doing wrong. And that back and forth condemnation, and it happens within the Christian community all the time, this mutual back and forth to where the point of you just, it's hard to escape it, right? When you sit in judgment over them and then they judge you and it's just this back and forth. And we live in such a culture today where judgments, it's almost an impossibility. There was that common saying, really back in the 80s it was popular, but they're like, I love the sinner, hate the sin. That was a popular saying. Today, it is a joke. (laughs) If you've ever heard that, right now, it's universally rejected today. That idea that you could love a sinner and hate their sin. That statement is offensive in our culture today. I am my actions. Right, what are you talking about? You can't hate my action without hating me. You can't tell me that you think this is wrong, what I'm doing is wrong, without saying I'm wrong. We operate and live in a culture in the church, out of the church, that lives now in a world in which my actions define who I am. If you say I am wrong about this, you're saying I am wrong. And so those feelings of judgment, those feelings of condemnation are so strong. And we all experience it. If someone has criticized my life decision, well, that is, you are criticizing me. So what do we do? Right, what do we do in a world like this? What do we do in the church like this? What do we do when we can't correct and Jesus offers us an alternative he doesn't tell us just to not judge we don't have to just live in a world where we can't speak the truth he's not telling us that he's not telling us that you can never correct as we know we need that we need to be able to correct we need discernment but there's a strong difference between judging and discerning And we need to have the gospel before we can start speaking the truth. We need to be trained very well in love. Because Christ is offering us love. Do you have a community that's defined by judgment? Or do you have a community that's defined by love? And to love people, we genuinely have to look at people through the lens of Christ and the gospel and hope for the best, hope for the good. We have to be sure of sin. Not assume sin, but be sure of sin before we correct. Not be too quick to point out the flaws in others. Christ is pretty clear too that it's not, the New Testament is clear on this as well, it's not everyone's job to correct each other. It is, a, it is something left for the mature. It isn't something that everyone in the church's role is to point out the flaws of everybody else. It takes maturity. It takes efforts. It takes a concern for them in which we view people not as projects to be fixed or things to be changed, but as people who need to be restored to the hope of the gospel. Where you don't just look at people's lives and say, well, that's wrong. I'll go f- let me fix this. But more, how can I bring this person to Christ 
how can Christ enter into this life, into this situation? Is your goal to fix? Is your goal to restore? And we have to do it with this knowledge, with a perspective that I would do the same that they would. Feeling the weight of their burden as I go to my brother and sister in love and in their sin, in their mistakes, that I know I would make the same mistake. That I am in no better of a position. That I do not have the moral righteousness to not make the same sin, to not do the same thing. And before I can genuinely love, I've got to take the log out. Right? Christ is really clear on this. You hypocrite. What are you doing? And notice, it's not this picture of like that the log is like, you just got to confess your own sin and then you can deal with their sins. The sin, the, the log is the spirit of condemnation. Do you condemn people? Are you coming to correct them, to fix them, to condemn them, to pronounce judgment? Then you need to stop. You are a hypocrite. You can't help when you've got this log in your eye, the spirit of judgment and condemnation, it's just wrong. Before we can love and help our brother and sister, we need to become the type of people who don't condemn our brothers and sisters. If you can't correct without condemning, you shouldn't be correcting. That's what Christ is saying. Unless you can get rid of that log, you shouldn't be doing what you're doing. Because only through that, only through experiencing the love of Christ and living in that friendship with him, can we truly experience that hope. And we can look at, who is this person that I am about to condemn? What does Christ think of them? Or on the receiving end, it's very hard to receive judgment and not have it cause judgment back and condemnation. But again, if we grow in our relationship with the gospel, with Christ, who is this that's condemning me? Right? What does Christ think of me? can endure those things. So the first piece that Christ points out to us is the spirit of judgment in a community, the spirit of condemnation in a community will just kill us. It will prohibit us. It will limit us. We will always be inwardly focused. We will always be comparing and working on our issues and never look out to the world. And there will be a spirit amongst us that will not be peace and hope and joy. The other danger is this danger of being overly right all the time. Pushing good things on people within the community. Right, this verse that Christ gives, this illustration of the, of the pigs, right, of the swine, of bringing the pearls before them, you know, this, this is very misused. This, this is used predominantly, or has been in Christianity, as kind of a don't waste good things on people who don't appreciate it, right? Like, just don't even bother because they're not going to appreciate these things. No, Christ, it's, it's not don't give good things to the people who can't appreciate good things. It's stop giving to people what you think is good for them when it's not what they need. Pigs don't need pearls. <laughs> if you keep pushing on things, on people what they don't need and are not ready for, they will turn on you. We can do this in community quite easily. 
right? They will eventually lash out. If you keep pushing what you think is a pearl, what you think is good for them, what you think is great for them, what they, you think they need and want, and they don't want it and can't appreciate it, right, anyway, they will lash back. There will be anger. And we see this with our own, as parents, with our own children. We see this within our communities, our workplaces, our families, right? If you push on someone, your plan for them, what you think is so good for them, it doesn't go well. It may initially, but if you keep pushing, your pearls, eventually, anger is what you're going to receive in reply. Because ultimately what these show, both of this, this judging and this pushing of good, is we're taking the person of Jesus Christ out of the position of control within our communities and within our relationships. I'm taking the person that I care about, this person that I, I love, but in my judgment of them and in my pushing of my plan for good for them, I've removed Jesus from this relationship. I am in both places operating as Christ. I am standing as judge over them. That's the position of Jesus. I am standing in the position of their Savior who offers them the plan, who offers them goodness, who offers them life, which is also the position of Jesus. And the result of this within our communities is going to be anger and fear, contemptment, pain, and disappointment. Rather, right, Christ calls us in another illustration, he gives us a great picture of being wise as serpents and gentle as doves. Watch and wait like a serpent, discerning, watching, patient. Act directly, quickly, decisively, and without misleading, harmless as doves, no malintent. Watch and love people. And the big realization that Christ gives us in this community, because again, it's, it's easy to feel the weight of conviction when you read Christ's words. He does a good job of this. It's like, I know this. I know I have been in those positions over people so much. Right? I have sinned against so many of you, which you know. And I've, I've sat in a position of judgment. I've condemned. I've pushed plans. I've pushed good things. <laughs> and I've experienced the backlash of those things. I know I can do this. I know that this is natural and easy. And it's easy to feel that weight of condemnation for it, and the guilt and the shame for being the person who judges, for being the person who pushes good things on people who aren't ready for them or who don't want it. But Christ invites us to take a step back. He invites us to step back from that, and when we step out of that situation, hope can enter into, because as we look at verses 7 through 11, this picture of asking, this picture of requesting starts to come naturally. When I remove myself as the one who has to hold all of the relationships in my life together, when I actually step back right, and say, I am not in control of my family, I am not in control of my church community, I am not in control of my friendships, hope actually enters. Because what does Christ tell us? 
when you step out of that role, what steps in is asking. Simple asking, requesting, realizing that I'm not in control, realizing I'm not Christ, draws us and forces us to ask. We simply ask. We love people, and we ask them things. I don't tell them things. Who am I to tell them all these things? I can ask them. I can knock on the door of their lives. Right? This is what a community should be characterized by. Not a telling, not a judging, but of an asking, of a loving, a caring for each other, a pursuit of each other. If they don't open the door, that's fine. I can knock. I can ask. I continue to ask what is going on, how people are doing. And in that, and being willing to let them close the door on me, draws me to asking God more and more for what should be done. When I step out of that position, I ask of the people in my community, I ask of the people in my life, of my children, of, those, of my coworkers, I stop judging, I stop standing in those positions, and I ask them things, and then when they say no to things, I ask the Lord for things, because I've hit the end of my road. I asked, and they said no. Now what do you have to do? I have to ask the Lord. And you, it puts you in this position of requesting, and being in a position of asking for help, being in a position of requesting, really puts me in the same position with the person that I love, that I care for. I'm no longer in this position of arrogance and power and authority over them. I'm in a position of asking with them, asking Christ with them. I ask of them, they ask of me, we ask of Christ. It's a different position to be in. It's a position where love can, can flourish. It's the proper way of relationships is what Christ is showing. This asking. Ask and you will find. Seek. Asking of each other, asking of God. Because prayer then becomes a powerful answer to our basic needs and desires in community. Right? We all have these unmet needs in community. Right? There's disappointment in community. We have these needs in our communities. If it was for friendship, if it's for mentoring, if it's for shepherding, if it's for advice, if it's for teachings, we all have these desires. And they will go sometimes met and sometimes unmet. And so we can judge each other and we can be envious of other communities or of other people or of what they have and wish I had those things. And we can, or we can pray. We can seek those things. We can ask the Lord for those things. We can be honest with one another about our unmet desires and hopes and needs, trusting Christ to fulfill those needs. Because at this point, when we get to the point of recognizing our need for prayer, our need for asking, it all points us back to the gospel, right? Being in a position of needing prayer, being in a position of praying, puts us in a position where we can see Jesus and puts us in a position where we can see the gospel more fully because the reality is because of the gospel because of Christ I can't stand in those positions of judgment 
end of pushing goodness anymore. If I'm reminded of the gospel, I am reminded of the fact, of the truth, the reality, right, that Jesus holds all things together. Right, this is the central teaching of the gospel, that Christ is the Lord of all things. He holds all things. He has the rights to all things. He is the owner of all things, of every one. I am not my own. I belong to God. You are not your own. You belong to God. Your children are not yours. They belong to God. The people in your community are not yours. They belong to God as well. They belong to Christ. Christ holds them, owns them. You don't. And the other reality to the gospel is that he doesn't just hold all things, but he's also reconciled all things to himself. He died for them. He's reconciled them to him. My children have been reconciled with Christ. The people in my community have been reconciled with Christ. I've been reconciled with Christ, which means Christ stands between me and every human relationship. I have no direct access to people. Christ stands as the mediator between all human existence. He's the reconciler. He's the one who stands between. He's the mediator. He's, I, I, I can go around him. And Christ is so patient and caring. He's a king, right? This is the, we know this about him. He's, a, he's the type of king and ruler who will lay down his life rather than impose himself upon people who don't want him. He lets us operate in our relationships without him. We can go around him all the time. It doesn't change the reality that he is in between us still. And I can act like I have a direct relationship to people. I can act like I'm their Lord and Savior. I can act like I can tell them what to do and I can judge them and I can push what I think I should. But the reality is I can't. The reality is Christ stands between us. My family is not mine. My friends are not mine. My church is not mine. But they belong to Christ. And what this means for us, right, practically... It gives us that freedom and joy that is offered in the gospel, right? Because when I think that I have this direct relationship, when I think that I actually am the one who goes directly to my family and to my wife and to my friends and to my community, right? Well, now the burden is on me. I have to maintain these relationships. I have to meet those other people's needs. I have to make sure that they understand what I need them to understand. I need to make sure right, to call out their sin. I need to make sure to correct them. I need to make sure that they're maturing. I need to make sure that what is good is happening to them, right? I got to make a plan for my kids' life. I got to make a plan for my friends' life. I have to make sure, right, and I got to maintain all of these relationships, and I, I, right, we know the fruit of that. I feel spread out. I feel thin. I feel burdened. I feel anxious. I feel out of control, I feel like I should be doing more things. I feel like I should, right? It's just, it feels overwhelming. Christ and the gospel offers us a hope of community that is freed. If Christ holds my community together, if Christ holds my relationships together, if Christ is in between me and all people, I don't have to hold this together. I don't have to make sure that my kid's life turns out perfect. I don't have to make sure that everybody stays happy. I don't have to make sure that everybody sees their sin and is growing. 
I don't have to make sure of all of those things. I can step back and experience freedom and hope and joy trusting Jesus to hold the community together. Trusting Jesus to do his work that he's doing together. And the fruit of this, if we step back and trust Jesus, the fruit in the Christian community is instead of a spirit of judgment, right, being present, instead of a spirit of telling everybody things, you know, of giving advice all the time, instead of that spirit of judgment, there'd be a spirit of seeking, a spirit of asking, a spirit of care, a spirit of love. And Dallas Willard does a great job of pointing out this other fruit, that within a Christian community where there's really the view that Jesus stands between all people, there's a spirit of laughter. There is joy. Tim Keller writes about this as well, that nothing gives, a sense of, gives us humor and a sense of humor more than the gospel. Right? The absurdity of our lives all of a sudden become very apparent when we realize that Christ has reconciled all things and stands between us all. And it, it's, there's a joy there's a freedom to that gives. I don't take myself as seriously as, I, as other people. I don't take other people that seriously. I can joke about myself. I can joke about others. I can, we can have a joy and a spirit. As we, but again, right, but if I am the king, if I am my me, own mediator, if I have to maintain relationships, that spirit of laughter and joy is usually not present. It's a spirit of obligation and duty, of dread, of judgment. But as we step out of those roles more and more and let Christ step into those roles in our lives, right, the fruit of it is more and more of a seeking spirit and more and more of a laughing joy that our communities would become more joyful, more happy, less fearful. So how do we move? Right? How do I make that move towards laughter? How do we make a move towards asking and seeking? How do I make a move from a community, instead of being a person who condemns, to being a person who seeks? Well, we have to see Jesus. Right? Christ is standing before us. He's standing before his disciples. He's offering himself, and he says, if you see me, you will not condemn others. If you look at me, right? if you look at Christ, if we look to him, we will not have a spirit of condemnation, a spirit of judgment. We can't. It just doesn't work very long. It's really hard to sit on that throne of judgment when you see the rightful judge. And say, oh, I'm sorry, I'm sitting on your seat. I need to get out of this. But if we don't see Christ as that, if we don't see him as reconciling all things, owning all things, over all things, we will sit in that seat of judgment all the time. Because we don't see anybody else who wants to sit there. So we're going to judge people. How do we experience more joy and patience and hopefulness with people? And less pessimism? Because right? it's easy to be pessimistic. Always looking for sin in other people. Especially as house church leaders or in position of maturity. You're just kind of always looking for sin. Like on guard for it. And you get very pessimistic. How do we get to a place where we're hopeful for people? We hope the best not the worst. And we have joy and experience those things. Well, we really have got to see what Jesus died for. Not that he just sits on the throne, 
but that he died and reconciled those people's sins. All these little things that so easily entangle us and distract us have been reconciled. He died for it. We can have hope. We can have joy and we can have peace. So Christ calls us as a community, right, to really examine ourselves. If we have a spirit of judgment, if we have a spirit of telling people what's wrong and what they should do, it will hinder us. It will hinder us from experiencing the joy of the gospel, and it will hinder us in making disciples of all the world. How do we move from that? Christ has already moved us from it. We have to look to him and experience, step out of those positions of judgment and step into those positions of asking and seeking the kingdom. Let's pray. Heavenly Father, Lord, we, we thank you for your patience with us. We thank you for your love for us. Lord, we thank you for the hope that we have, the joy that you've given us. Lord, we confess to you how forgetful we are, how controlling we can be, how we can be pursuing what is good, but still eliminate you from those things, and how we can create structures and practices that just take over and eliminate you from our lives and even from our Christian communities. Lord, we want you to be at the very center of everything that we do. We want the hope and the joy and the peace that you have purchased for us to be there. So Lord, help us. Help us to see you for who you are. Help us to be captivated by your love and your mercy, by your forgiveness. Lord, strengthen us in that gospel so that our spirit turns from one of condemning to one of love. That when we speak the truth to one another, it's done in love and not out of fear or pessimism or judgment. Lord, we thank you that you are the one who is in charge of this church, that you are the one who is in charge of this city and this world. Lord, we trust you with it. We want to be faithful with our roles. We want to be faithful in our pursuit of you. So Lord, help us to hold on to you in the midst of all of these things. Lord, just be with us and guide us and strengthen us to love one another the way that you love us. In your name we pray.